This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal. Uh, joined today, as recently, uh, by uh, Michael Grandy, our CEO, uh, and Rob McWilliams today, uh, a data privacy consultant who's we've worked together now for the better part of four years. Rob, so it's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you, Jason. Uh, and uh, Brian Brayhart, who is uh, one of Ancord's uh, information security officers on our on our VISO team. So, Brian, thanks for joining. Anytime. Uh, so, we've had now some some good banter around this for for a half hour as we as we sort of prepare for this. But we're going to talk a little bit today about the I guess the data leak. I've seen it called the breach. I've seen it called the leak. But we'll we'll stay with leak today. Twenty uh, three and Me had initially reported uh, roughly 14,000 user records were accessed. Uh, as a little bit more data came to light, I think that bumped up to approximately somewhere between six and seven million. Um, and the initial reports really were the 14,000 were a result of password reuse. So essentially, you know, users that had used a password on another site, uh, subsequently used it then on the 23andMe site. Uh, they contend that the that the passwords were compromised somewhere else, and they were basically you know, password stuffed or reused to try to, to try to access data in Twenty Three and Me. Um, and I think they've actually filed sort of a, a, a formal response uh, via you know a legal formal response that says it's not really our fault. Uh, users should have taken more responsibility to protect their credentials, and it's a shame that the data was accessed, uh, but. Uh, you know, there, a, a significant responsibility lies with the user. And I think that's what we really should spend some time exploring today, because it's a, uh, it, it maybe it's an it's an it's an atypical response for these types of yeah. things. So, uh, so I'm going to throw that out there, and I'm wondering, anybody have a have a thought or a comment to start with? Um, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> uh, so this is something that in 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 my career as a security professional, we've debated. In roundtable discussions, we debated in on-premise. You know, sitting in the office, uh, gone to, you know, all the, all the things that security professionals go talk about things, and it's it's kind of this this idea that the 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 users are going to one day just understand how serious this is and take it into their own hands to make sure that their passwords are long and complex and they use password managers and the reality mm -hmm. is they're not they're not going to do this so we as security professionals need to acknowledge the reality and do everything we can especially with a company like 23andme where whether it's right or wrong the, the data they collect, people are terrified of that <laughs> yeah, getting out. Right. And so, at least from a marketing perspective, they need to make sure they can't just comply. They need to go above and beyond and, and, and understand that we can't rely on the users. We just, and, and it's not their job. It's not user's job. So we have to do ours. Yeah. So that's, that's mine in a nutshell. And I, I yeah, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I think there are two ways of looking at this. One is the common sense approach, and one is the legal approach, and they're not always the same thing. 
Um, you've articulated the common sense approach, I think, Brian, that and most reasonable people would agree with you. The interesting yes. thing is, I I think that the legal situation probably coincides with the, in this case, with the common sense approach. This is undoubtedly data that is regulated by privacy laws, whether in the United States or overseas, Europe, GDPR, places, uh, places and regulations like that. As you point out, it's sensitive data. It's information about um, your ancestry, who you are related to, where you come from. This, this is not inconsequential data. And under, uh, under those privacy laws, companies have a general obligation to maintain reasonable security standards. Now, you can point perhaps and say to a, a user in your terms of use, you know, you have to maintain a high quality password um, or whatever. But even if that is true and acceptable, one thing in this case, if I've understood it correctly, that kind of nullifies that is that one user's bad passport, password sorry, gave access to other users' data. Yeah. So I could have a Fort Knox password on my account, but it doesn't protect my data right. because 23andMe has this function that allows you to share information. Yeah, the, and the relative sharing feature, right. right? Don't they call that? Right, yeah. right. Um, and that's something they've developed to part of their commercial service. And so I, I, I'm, I'm with you, and I think the law is with you that 23andMe cannot just point at the users and say, you, you haven't maintained a strong enough password. Yeah, and, and my point was, was you know, sort of analogous to that, which was there's an implicit expectation of additional security protocols and standards when, you know, some cases collecting DNA information, very personal, really to, the, to a certain extent, there's an unknown you know, future for what that data and where that data can go and what it can be used for in many cases. And I think that there's a sort of a fad, uh, I'll just say it's a trendy thing, right? Ancestry.com, 23andMe, let's expand and see how far, um, you know, our connections go in family members and in our, you know, sort of our heredity and let's learn more, which is great. Information is great. But I think Brian very clearly put, you know, the expectation of privacy and protection is there and just because there's some small print that says the obligation is with the user, the standards need to be higher. Um, and the expectation that the, that the clients use, I mean, just 14,000 turning into 6.9 million simply because of this right. feature that expands. They've only got 14 million accounts and that's not a small number, but that's an incredible- right, half their user That's base. half of their right. user base. And I think that that's, you know, it's really scary as a consumer, you know, I, I'd be really, concerned about what this means uh, and what their internal protocols in their systems are if their first reaction is it's not our fault you were you you know you clients you know uh, your accounts were lazily set up or protected it's on you well, and I so I think that's I, th I think that point that Rob made which is the, the the decision or the choice by a small percentage of users had a great impact on 50 percent right so I think 23 me said, that they did not require multi-factor, but they had you know, offered it as an option and people didn't avail themselves to right. it. Right. I think yeah. you have to enforce things like that, right? Yeah. Because you can't really permit somebody's bad choice 
to have that kind of an impact on the broader population. I think that's that's really one of the egregious things here. Yeah, that's and that's to to and and I'm glad Jez, you made that point. Um, is that they made it an option, and you know, I I have to be the, the way I've always looked at like when you write policies, when you write processes, when you put together these things. Um, I always look at security like raising children that if you because they don't know and that's the thing users don't have to know we would like them to we put out awareness training you know every tech magazine every social media has hey ways to protect your password ways to protect your account but at the at the end of the day, they don't read them. I mean, right. if you've ever been on social media, there's people still kind of proud that they don't know how to set up the clock on a VCR. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, we're in a technological age. And, you know, but that's the thing is you have to accept that this is what's going to happen. So you have to do things like you have to force it. And if users complain, fine. But. And that's why you have support teams that will help take them through the process. You also have marketing things to explain, hey, this is to protect your info. We're doing this for you. And you just you just take the hit. And, right. you know, and so that's the thing is that it's better. I mean, think of it this way. It's better to have to take an irate user support call. I don't know how to create my password yeah. than have to go through this um media blitz about you lost all these people's information and now you've got to backtrack and you've got to you know do some duck and cover i don't know I, i'd rather have just my help desk help someone than have to do this so well and the and and the companies know so the users may not recognize the risk of password reuse but the companies understand it i know that when i do security awareness training and i ask people to raise their hand if they have a unique password for every you know website or company they interact with and zero hands right. go up every single time I asked a question I know so yeah. 23andme I think had a responsibility to recognize that and better protect those accounts and and I think that that's that's the problem I, I, yeah. abs I absolutely agree I mean they other companies that are arguably handling less sensitive, personal data do force a certain standard of password um, and do force regular resets and sometimes enforce some level of two-factor authentication. So why a company handling this sort of data didn't, I think, is a very valid question. Um, I think the other thing I noticed in one of 23andMe's responses or, or, or outputs was that no harm was going to result from right. this yeah. breach. And they said, let's not, this is not data that's going to lead to you losing money. You know, it, it doesn't involve your, it's not going to lead to identity theft or, right. um, or whatever. That, that may be true, but it, it's a rather old fashioned view, I think, of how personal data can be misused. Yeah, you're probably not going to have your bank account drained because of this breach, but revealing your relationships and your ancestry can cause harms. That's that's documented. It, it, there are loads of stories about people finding out that their 
not related to who they thought uh, they were yeah, related yeah, to yeah. Um, and related to uh, people they didn't think they were related harm to. Harm is relative uh, to sort of exactly. keep up the trend. Yeah. Um, so this is sensitive data. And it does look to me like they have serious questions to answer about um, whether they've protected it adequately. And, and to your point, Rob, this time. Yeah. Right. Or, and at this moment, um, that's the one thing about security that we know is that we have to still monitor and maintain because we don't know what this could, there could be another way this could be used. Um, and so that we haven't thought of, or, you know, that yep. we'll, we'll say the attacker hasn't tried right. yet. And, you know, that's the first rule of security, you know, it's not if, right. but when, yeah. So and and I think we all see, you know, the attackers are really creative in how they use this data. Like they go, the, the ransomware is something that, frankly, you know, I didn't conceive of ten years ago. Uh, somebody did, and you know, here we are, right? So somebody will think about some creative way to utilize this data. I mean, they're trying to charge, you know, or, or they're they're offering the opportunity to this to this impacted population to pay you know between a dollar and ten dollars to have their data expunged like all right your, that's your sort of standard you know how do I make money off of this but they'll the, the data has other uses for sure yeah so yeah um, I mean I think we're kind of coming to an one, one thing I, I wanted to ask was you know Brian did do you actually know how to set the, the time on a VCR because I don't know that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that anybody knows how to do that uh, well and you know to, to that point, um, I wonder what we as security professionals, I mean, I know we all, if you're, if you're working individual, everybody gets awareness training, or at least they should, right? But what about the people who aren't? How do we, you know, um, the, the article mentioned the laundry list of ways people can protect their passwords. And I went to the, to the dark reading article it referenced, there's two. Uh, use long and complex and use a password manager. Right. Uh, to me, that's not a laundry list. <laughs> now, I use a password manager, but I'm a security professional. How do we teach people to use? Because that is, to me, if not the most effective, one of the most effective ways of, of combating this problem because you don't have to remember it. They're right. portable, right? But... You know, I try to get my family and friends to use it. And they're like, ah, oh, it's just it's just too complex. I don't get how this works. Yeah. And that's the crazy and, part, because they make they make creating a password easier. They make yeah. accessing a password. Yep. E yeah. Like, honestly, I think it's a world of convenience. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It, there's an adoption uh, sort of hindrance here. You know, it feels so onerous. Well, it's going to take me so long to figure out how many passwords I have and ultimately get to those sites. But once you start your natural progression of visiting yep. different websites, right. accessing different applications, just automatically takes over, makes the process so much easier. Right. Yeah. I, 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 think you, I think your point, Brian, is a very good one, that this is a consumer-oriented organization. So yeah. the, the people who mm. are using it are not getting nagged by their company to create a certain kind of password or forced to change it. These are just, you know, um, folk who may not be getting this advice. Right. And, in fact, probably aren't. Probably right? are. Yeah, most of them. Um, Sounds like another CyberSound 
uh, <laughs> episode, episode yeah. right? How to how to use your password manager, and we can yeah take do people. some how tos, yeah. Yeah. Do we have a do we have a recommendation? Can we are we allowed to have recommendations? Yeah, we, we, we yeah, we're 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 uh we're we're not sponsored by anybody, so we can say anything we want. <laughs> Cuz I I've used a, a bunch. One password is the one I use and yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So, but, you know, it LastPass has had its share of documented issues and frankly, yeah, but, I know a lot of people who too, who still have confidence in that tool. Right? They did they didn't their 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 credentials weren't accessed uh, in spite of the problems that they had. Uh and Bitwarden is probably another one that's that's gotten a little bit more popular. I think partly because there's a really kind of pretty robust free option there. Yeah, and I, I, I have a little gr green Post-it note on my just, laptop. Yeah, as many Post-its. Password one, password two, and, and my really good one, pass one. You know, and no oh, one's going to yeah. guess that. That's you know. good. Yeah, if you yeah. substitute a, a zero for the O, right? All right, so yeah, obviously those are all things not to do. That's the laundry list of, of bad <laughs> yeah, examples. Do not do Right, right. Um, yeah, like I said, that's another episode. <laughs> it is indeed. Actually, it's not. It, that's a good idea, Brian. I think we, we probably should do that. We tend to be a little bit more strategic, but I think you're right. People probably need the simple, how do I actually protect myself against it? Yeah. Because it's like the keys to your house, right? There's nothing more important than protecting those. You want to protect your digital credentials as well. Right. So, um, well, yes, hey, sir. guys, thanks for joining. Um, I think this is an interesting topic, honestly, and and I'll be really curious to watch where any of sort of this legal response goes because it, it, it's one I wouldn't have it's a, it's a position I wouldn't have expected them to take. Uh, I'm I'm kind of hopeful they might back off of it, but if not, then we get to see the more entrenched yeah. they become, maybe the more ridicule, ridicule they're subject to. Of course, yeah, yeah for sure, so, yeah. So uh, if anybody wants, if anybody has info on this, you know, that maybe we didn't touch on and wants to drop us a note, uh, you know, feel free to, to, to comment, uh, certainly in, in YouTube or any of the, the common places. Uh, I've been told now that we need to tell people to, to like or to comment in some way, because that actually helps a lot with people. Uh, like and share. Like and share. What'd yeah. you say, Brian? Mash that like button? Smash that like Smash, button. Right. So yeah. that's what we're going to ask people to do. I got. We have our our our, um, our producer is is cringing. I think I'm not sure he loves that so much. Uh, and uh, as always, though, we appreciate people listening. We hope you got uh, some value out of this. Uh, Rob and Brian, in particular, thanks for joining today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks, gentlemen. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.